0: Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond is on assignment, so I'm host James Page from MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential. This week, we are going to be discussing each actor's peak performance. So that's when we think they put in their best acting work as James Bond. So we're not talking about the film as a whole, just the individual actor's effort in that particular film so as george put in both his best and worst performances in majesties and craig isn't finished yet we're going to just be focusing on connery Moore, dalton and brosnan um so we're going to each nominate our preference for peak performance and then i'm going to be running real-time twitter polls in the background to find out what the wider fandom thinks see if we can kind of come to some kind of consensus by the end of the hour so with that all out of the way I'd like to introduce our panel this week. I've got Sean, Phil, Bill, Dr. Lisa, and joining us for the first team, Dr. Michael. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys?
1: Ah. Oh, I'm going first. I've never gone first before. Hi, um, I'm Sean Longmore, and I'm a graphic designer, and sometimes I do Bond fan projects.
2: I'm Phil Nobile Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine, and Sean Longmore (laughs)
3: Superfan. And uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command.
4: I am Dr. Lisa Funnell, I'm a university professor, award-winning author and podcaster specializing in gender in James Bond and other action films.
5: And I'm new, I'm Michael Boyce, uh, I'm also a, a university professor, um, podcaster and all-around interesting person. And Canadian! <laughs> and canadian yes oh, that's
6: right there's two of us we're taking it over <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes and i'm
5: i'm actually uh here in winnipeg manitoba canada the birthplace of william stevenson the inspiration for james bond
0: so uh... contentious claim yeah
6: <laughs> <laughs> right. so
0: an authentic canadian in canada in canada yes. oh, damn Lisa, <laughs> you stand for that would hurt <laughs>
4: I mean he went through the winter so I mean he definitely has a claim I'm the one just suffering in the heat down here so
2: (laughs) Winnipeg got those flies Mm -hmm. yes good stuff mosquitoes
0: mosquitoes (laughs) oh boy all right so shall we go in chronological order because that's what everybody else likes to do and um, start off with the original Mr. Connery who you could argue had two tenures, so we'll lump them all together.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to ask for somebody to be brave and throw in their their pitch first as to um, their best performance. I'll do it. <laughs> I,
3: I always like, uh, <laughs> I always blunder in. So uh, I'm going to actually nominate Thunderball. Like most people view Connery as kind of hitting his stride with Goldfinger, but I think he was actually a little bit better in uh, Thunderball in that. In Goldfinger, Bond kind of has a lot of things that happened to him, and I think he's a little more proactive in Thunderball. And I think the scene where he tells Domino that her lover, Largo, had her brother killed, I think is genuinely dramatic. And Mm -hmm. in fact, one of my problems with Never Say Never Again is the corresponding scene is played for laughs, and I just, I could never warm to that. So I'll go with Thunderball. I just, I, I... and, and also Connery had a lot going on at the time. He was already kind of counting down to when he would be freed of that, of that first contract he signed. But, you know, he doesn't really show it. You could argue he shows it more in You Only Live Twice. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'll go, with the, uh, I'll go with
0: Thunderball. Any takers or objectors to that?
4: It's not my pick, (laughs) but I don't disagree with what, what Bill said. And especially the scene that he highlighted, the scene with Domino is probably one of the most sort of touching Connery scenes as bomb that, that we have. And you can definitely feel it. Even with sunglasses on, you can definitely feel the emotions. And I think that's something that's very difficult to pull off when you have like a mask or a barrier between your eyes and, and the camera. So I don't disagree with, with that.
5: No, I, makes sense um it's not my choice either uh but i mean your your rationale is is very good
3: and 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 to be clear um thunderball is not my i don't think it's the best connery but uh but i'll just go with it and just in terms of he also just he has a lot of self you know he's just very self-confident it's Mm -hmm. like I, i i think that performance really i mean that came out of course at more or less at the height of the 60s spy craze. So I think mm. that performance won over a lot of fans as well.
2: Yeah, certainly it's the most ass- assured of Connery's
0: while he's still fully present. So, Michael, if, if that wasn't your pick, what would, what would have been your pick for Connery? Uh,
5: I'm going to go for uh, From Russia With Love. I think it's... The films are, are kind of... They hit their stride for, um, in From Rush With Love. But I think Connery's performance in that shows... Um, a confidence that he doesn't quite have in um, uh, Doctor No, but it doesn't get into the arrogance and the 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 the, the worst of his performance um, when he's so self confident, or he just doesn't want to be there, as you guys were talking about earlier. So I just I think that performance is really good. There is just a, a, a humanity to the way he he handles um, the situations. Um, there's a a really interesting. Um, dynamic between him and Red Grant that I think is really good, that never quite gets replicated in all the other um, confrontations that he has throughout the the, the Connery years, I I just think is a great performance.
4: And before this podcast, Michael and I were talking about this, this very question, and one of the things that I appreciated about From Russia With Love is, I mean, I was leaning towards the early section of Connery, and so I was throwing it up really between Dr. No, the first outing mm-hmm. for Sean Connery, because I think it's a solid performance as Bond, and you can mm-hmm. see the input of Fleming, and you can also see Connery bringing humor to it and crafting and designing this role, and then you sort of step into From Russia With Love. And it's just, it, it can be considered one step further where I think Connery fully starts to embody this role. And he has a really strong friendship with Karim Bay, which brings out different sort of layers and, and, and colors. And so I, I, I enjoy both of those. And so I was teetering, which is why I contacted Michael. I'm like, what do you think about <laughs> the early <laughs> phases of Connery? Because I know a lot of people will put their weight behind something like Goldfinger or Thunderball. And yet, Maybe in in the recent rewatchings that I've done, I've actually found it more appealing before it got like formulaic, before everything became so rigid, so confident, so omnicompetent. And so although from Russia with Love, I, I will give that to Michael i'm gonna kind of throw dr no out as my choice even though i i'm mm. teetering between the two but like let me just have an unpopular opinion and throw it out <laughs> and be bold with dr no like if we're gonna do like a like a whatever people are picking might as well give them you know a, 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 an option that they might not be thinking about
2: well lisa it's gonna be I'm... a little less unpopular because <laughs>
4: <laughs> guess what
2: <laughs> I, I also um, think Doctor No is if we're, if we're just grading performances, and you know, I tend to just drift into like which one is the most sort of archaeologically important one. I think that l- without Connery's performance in Doctor No, you don't even have a franchise. It it, right. it is a yep. seismic, game changing performance, and I think it's intangible, right? I can't point to it on a, like a piece of paper, but I think that part of that is that there's this electricity to this performance uh, that is tied to the fact that he isn't quite sure who this character is yet that there's an mm. uncertainty to it and then you know we'll get into these other ones but since Craig is off the table I'll say that that's replicated in Casino Royale where yes. there's yeah. a newness there is a a fresh thing that you've not seen before that will uh, keep the thing from becoming stale on rewatches it keeps the thing from becoming cliche ridden and tired and Con- there's something about not quite having your feet on solid ground there in those first performances of every bond that I think makes them different than even the second one. Um, So Dr. No, and, and I don't know why Lisa, but in the last year, year and a half, Dr. No is the one I keep throwing on as like Mm -hmm. the, the go-to there's something very pure and, and uh, unsullied about that particular adventure. And, and Connery is never more lethal seeming and never more dangerous and never more sort of unpredictable as he, as he is in Dr. No.
4: Can I add to that too, yeah. when you're talking about being on unstable ground and just trying to feel your way through, I kind of feel the same way when you look at opening albums for certain bands where they just mm. sort of knock it out in the park mm. with the, with their first album because it's sort of like you're breaking new ground and you don't have a template that's yeah. gonna sort There's of squeeze you in. Yeah, like you can you can be creative and you can try and you can push and you can experiment because there are no boundaries. But once you establish like this is what works then you see what happened. And I think you are absolutely right with the Daniel Craig era, because I would have said Casino Royale is Daniel Craig's best outing. And then there was that process of trying to replicate and figure things out and and trying to put the lightning back in the bottle and then explode it out again. I feel in both these cases, you see the starting and the restarting of the franchise and it really rests on the shoulders of these two men and their initial inaugural iconic performances. So uh, yeah, I'm, I agree with you 100%.
3: High five. Um, can, I, <laughs> um, can I add something real quick? It, 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 this has to do with uh, television in general. Like a lot of directors prefer to get in, you know, like you're a director directing episodic television. Your preference is to get in early before everything gets locked down mm-hmm. as opposed to like coming in in the seventh season or whatever. Yeah, you're yeah. just a babysitter yeah. at that point.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And can I say, uh, like Dr. No No, I think is a fine choice. And it's not like Connery does anything bad. Like none of his choices are are wrong or his instincts are are off by any stretch of the imagination. I just feel like there's a a little bit more confidence in 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 mm-hmm. From Russia with Love. Um, but you're right, he establishes the tone for the whole series. Like nothing that we celebrate uh, t- you know as fans happens if that's a bad performance.
6: Mm-hmm. Yep.
5: Yeah, and
2: and you know it it changed it changed the uh, industry to somewhat. It, it is he's the essentially the first sort of action hero in that mold. Arnold Schwarzenegger with his one liners, this uh, Bruce Willis's wisecracks. This all comes after Connery's Bond, and um, mm-hmm. and and that stuff is all there in the first performance. That we're not. I don't think people are. I mean, Austin Powers is replicating this stereotype of James Bond, but I don't think any of the legitimate. Uh, action heroes who have the bond DNA in them are riffing on a diamonds are forever. James Bond performance. They're they're going back (laughs) to that original. Um, And it's it's magical. I, 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 it's the one I keep coming back to for that reason. It's just, it's just a game changer. Uh, You know, I think it's it's been written by people besides me that you hadn't even seen an Englishman
3: on screen who looked and talked like that before. Mm. Well, and just to piggyback on what you said, um, I agree. Actually, you know, Connery isn't as uh, polished in Dr. No, but at the same time, there are there are a little bit of chances. I mean, it's maybe in a narrow range, but and I specifically cite uh, the scene where um, Bond and uh, Felix are at uh, the nightclub mm-hmm. and the photographer takes the picture. And oh. like if you notice carefully, it's like Connery's more agitated. Whereupon Felix is like taking it a little that's, cooler.
0: That's the scene I always come back to for Doctor No, where it's like Connery is Connery's Bond is a little bit petulant in that yeah. scene, yeah. and um, Felix Lyders, uh, Jack Lord's Felix Slider is more Bond-like in that <laughs> sequence than yeah. Connery's Bond, as we as we would later come to know him. And I don't blame Connery for that. That's the director's decision, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I think that part of that is Terence Young figuring out who this screen hero is, right? Mm-hmm. And converting right. The books. And so there's a little bit of um, adjustment made. And that's why I was going to go with From Russia With Love Is Mine. Um, yeah. Because it's kind of like, the couple of squeaky wheels got greased.
3: And, and that Dr. No sequence does reflect the novel. Because, I mean, if you read the novel, Bond is agitated when the photographer, you know, uh, takes a picture. You know, yeah. there's no obvi- there's no Felix in the novel. But, uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean just as an aside I mean I, I think all of these are great performances by the way I'm, I, it's, it's like it's like a quarter horse race like okay it's like the differences are sure. like really yeah. <laughs> really my you know very minor differences
2: yeah I'd also um, like to apologize for referring to Connery as an Englishman two minutes ago
3: <laughs> oh,
6: yes. yeah. oh yeah sorry. Sorry. It's, too late.
2: it's too late for the tweets are already coming oh, sorry, so, sorry and sorry to
6: uh, <laughs> and Michael <laughs>
0: I don't know what you're about. boot. Oh.
4: <laughs> There's two of us now. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> Sean, are you going to come off the top rope and say never say never again? No? Oh, uh, absolutely, no.
1: absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, 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 can't argue with any of that. I don't know if I can articulate myself quite as well as any of that either. Um, I'm. I would. I would go team from Russia with love. Yeah. Right. Um. Partially because I think. One of the things Connery does is that there's kind of less riding on, on his shoulders with From Rush With Love. If you look at Dr. No as a film, pretty much every scene is him. The entire story follows him. Mm-hmm. Whereas From Rush With Love, there's he can kind of relax a little bit. His performance kind of becomes a little bit smaller. Um, there's a lot more, I feel like, um, subtext to it. Whereas in Dr. No, he's, he's quite large. You're aware of his presence all the time. He feels a bit more like a spy to me in From Rush With Love. But I then also think it comes down to is how do we define best as a performance? What, what constitutes a mm-hmm. best performance? Um, because part of the thing for me and part of the reason I love James Bond is watching it and just having a lot of fun. Like I don't really watch Bond for gritty realism all the time. And so I'm going to say something really unpopular um, in that yesterday I was watching Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, here we go. And he's on the top rope. And I've I've always kind of dismissed him. I've always felt really bad because I've kind of dismissed him in that film as he doesn't want to be there. But I was watching it yesterday and I thought, actually, do you know what? He's taking the piss, but he's actually having a good time. And Mm. there's a sense of he kind of doesn't want to admit it and he kind of doesn't want to show it. But I can tell he's enjoying himself, particularly when when he's with Jill St. John. And I think they have great chemistry. And I think there's a lot more to that performance that people give them credit for.
4: And it's interesting when you talk about him not wanting to be there. I get that sense more in You Only Live Twice because we know about the background. I've always had this feeling through the performance of, of Connery in um, Diamonds Are Forever that he's kind of secretly really happy to be back. Like, this is his role, right? He established this character. He went through a phase where he was not happy. And I mean, this happens with us all the time with our jobs, sometimes even with our relationships where you have your unhappy phase. And then you kind of circle back and you're like, okay, this is this is me. This is something that I really enjoy. And so I, I like... St- to give him a little bit more credit there when it comes to, to Diamonds Are Forever because I don't think he would have signed on if he was 100%, like, I don't want to be here. He didn't have to be there, right? And I think coming back is a very brave choice after so much time has, has passed.
0: He also didn't have
1: to accept $1.25 million. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> true. I'd be having a good time. And, and, eight commitments weeks work fe-
0: th- and commitments for future
3: films, although only one was made, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but,
1: but then, of course, he took that money to set up the um, Scottish Artists Trust, which then supported young actors and artists. Right. And I kind of, I feel like there's almost that sense of pride in his performance, like he's justifying what yeah, he's doing. All, all right. All, although, all, although, although, he, that,
0: although that is great, let's not forget he got back end points on the film, which went straight to the bank of Connery. <laughs> and, and, well, and also, I think
3: he had a ownership interest in a bank that did the financing for that trust so it wasn't i mean yes it was a great donation don't get me wrong but like i don't think it was 100 percent altruistic
0: all right the twitter poll is out um so we can collate the results at the end um so that was one vote for thunderbolt two votes from rush love two votes for dr no, and one for diamonds of forever
1: uh, no 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 my vote will go from for Russia with love but oh, I, good, just, I, just I, to, I just wanted to i just want to throw diamonds out okay.
0: All right. So Just short polls, James. Six yeah, minutes so, left to this poll. That's right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's not like Brexit It takes five years. <laughs> so, so our consensus on our panel is from Russia the love. So we'll see what the audience thinks at the end. So I think as we go into the Moore era, this we might get a wider spread of choices on this one. Um, who wants to kick off? Roger with their first
2: pick. Not me. Cause Dr. Noah's dead last. I'm contemplating voter fraud on
6: Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> <tweets>. uh, yeah. <laughs> Kidding.
5: I'll jump in. I will jump in and I will give my, my pick. Uh, I'm going to go for your eyes only. It's a later film. Ooh. Um, and I agree that it's interesting. Uh, Lisa's band analogy. Um, connery comes in kicks off with dr no really strong performance it sets the tone for the entire franchise i i think we can make the argument craig does i'm gonna i'm gonna um uh, hedge my bets a little bit or tip my hand a little bit here and say i'm gonna say the same for brosnan more doesn't more i feel like more takes a little bit of time to to kind of get into the role you could probably make the argument that um uh, the spy who loved me is stronger, but I I feel like from uh, for your eyes only is the strongest, more performance overall.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Just he's hitting on all cylinders. His his charmingness is at its all time uh, high. But what I did ch- there?
6: Hey, long movie. I tried.
5: I couldn't really get a spy who loved me. But, yeah, um, but uh, that that would be my
0: my pick. Do you think it's more of an actor's film, for Arizona compared to the rest of his yeah. era?
5: Yeah, yeah. That was a more. really short answer, but yes. Yeah, there's more
3: for him, <laughs> more for him to do, therefore he shines better. As, well, yeah. well, And also, it's the most Fleming uh, content of the films he made. Because, I mean, you're adapting two short stories. Yes, they came up with a, a story arc to bridge them, but... Uh, there's the most Fleming content in a Moore film in that movie. And he does fine. He does fine. I mean, a lot was made about, uh, he was hesitant to kick the car off the cliff and John Glenn said, no, Roger, we need you to kick the car off the cliff. And well, he does it, you know, but you know, he expressed his concerns, but you know, in the end, you know, it's there on the screen.
2: <clears throat> yeah. And it's not a knock against his performance in this film or his run as Bond, but weirdly, I don't, I don't clock, you know, uh, Flemingness uh, in terms of Moore's performance because by the time he takes over the role, it, it seems like what they're doing is so far afield of, of Fleming's work that I just never. He's the most disconnected from Fleming of all the of all the Bond actors to me. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wouldn't that wouldn't be he, a pro. He, he's ahead. the
5: actor who um, I think suffers from gimmickiness more than anyone else. Like you know, um, live and let die. Is essentially riffing on black exploitation. He's just kind of there, um, and you get all these very gimmicky films where he doesn't have a lot to do, and he's almost overshadowed by the the choices that the director and the producers are making. Yeah. So, from yeah. for um, for your eyes only, I think saying it's the most Fleming is the is the way is a way of saying it's the one where he is actually able to be Bond without mm-hmm. that being a distraction. Uh, or, or other things being a distraction from that—that's
2: a good point. But I, but I would counter that that he uh, he's also this sort of you know uh, uh, genteel ambassador to all of these other uh, you know dabblings <laughs> into exploitation and and kung fu and outer space. He's this sort of uh, you know convivial host, yes, uh, uh, to the proceedings, an MC almost, um, which is a strength for him. I think it's sort of his his deal.
3: Well, uh, I'm going to nominate a different choice, but just, but for your eyes only is my favorite of the Roger Moore movies. Again, we're talking about performance. I get that. But, uh, because it actually has a fair amount of Fleming, um, in fact, I would argue it's kind of like, uh, Casino Royale probably has a bit more Fleming than for your eyes only, but it's like a really tight, you know, race in that, in that regard. (laughs) And, and the thing is he does a fine job in, you know, in the context, you know, you have that opening, there's kind of a sort of, you know, when he goes to visit Tracy's grave, there's kind of sorrow there. And I mean, it gets, you know, it quickly becomes more outrageous after that, but like that little beginning scene is like really good and he's really good
0: in it. So, so what would be your nomination then, Bill, if it's not eyes only?
3: Uh, I, I'm going to go with the more conventional choice of uh, The Spy Who Loved Me because it was kind of the first Bond film where they kind of let Roger be Roger <laughs> if you will Yeah. because because in Live and Let Die Guy Hamilton's like concerned no, you know we can't compare you to Sean avoid anything so like you know he doesn't get martinis he has bourbon neat and then but then they do a U-turn in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun and like he's beaten up uh, Maude Adams, and yeah, you know, well, that's what Connor would have done. And just finally, like with The Spy Love Me, it's like, Roger, you run with it. I mean, that was Lewis Gilbert's doing, I suspect. So, uh, I'll, I'll go with that just because also because, uh, you know, Roger Moore was just a bit younger than he was in For Your Eyes Only. Again, I, yeah, you know, I just said For Your Eyes Only is my favorite film of his, but. Yeah, I just I think he gets away with more in, in that film. And you know, it's like it I'm perhaps influenced by my late mother who thought that was her favorite James Bond film. So so there you go.
4: But it's okay that nostalgia influences it. And when you look at the spy who loved me, Roger Moore has command over that that role, right? He has command over the fleet. I I just feel as though you look at that and you can't help looking at him, walking through that film, being on set, being in those spaces and fully believing right? He has a fairly commanding performance. Mm -hmm. Is it to me, in my opinion, the peak? Not necessarily because everyone knows I like a witty bond. So there's not enough (laughs) of that in it for it to make it on my top, (laughs) but it is a very, I would say probably one of his more iconic performances, even him in that, um, in his uniform. I mean, there's just so many moments where he gives you a look, and it has nothing to even do with the content of what he's saying, the delivery of his lines. He just really embodies the role, I think, in that film in ways in which he didn't in the two previous films. So I I, I definitely understand this choice because it it was one of the ones that I was thinking about uh, when I was mulling over.
3: Also, it has one of his best scenes in the entire series, which is when Anya confronts him about the death of her boyfriend and bond does not try and shirk away from it. He confronts it head on and he says, yes, I did kill it.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: And like, I, I think that's one of, like I said, that is arguably his best scene in the entire series. And it, and, and the thing is for a movie with with all sorts of outrageous <laughs> scenes and such, it's like a really grounded scene in the middle of this elaborate fantasy. And I and I think he's really good. I mean, r- you know, when Roger Moore did uh, interviews, he was always very self-deprecating, and and I, and I get that. I mean that that was just his personality. But in a way, I think he kind of sh- sold himself short again yeah. based
0: on that one scene. So yeah, well, to parody one of his jokes, that Twitter is going to be left eyebrow versus right eyebrow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Phil or Sean, seeing that you went towards the end last time, do you want to throw in an earlier one? Yeah.
1: Um, I, I can. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to preface everything by saying that Roger Moore is my favourite Bond. I love mm-hmm. him. I adore that man. I, I want to give him a hug. He's, he's amazing. Um, I think, again, it comes back to this thing of what do we call the best performance? Um, because I always question actually how much is Roger Moore actually acting in his films, I think in For Your Eyes Only, he's acting the most um, in the sense that he's trying to become another persona. It's kind of the same thing that um, Tom Baker is everyone's favorite Doctor Who, but Tom Baker's not really acting as Doctor Who. Right. He's just being Tom Baker. And I, find, I think that Roger Moore isn't really acting as James Bond. He's just being Roger Moore because he's the mm-hmm. same if you look at, like, Simon Templar or Brett Sinclair, mm-hmm. if you look at all of his performance, he's just Roger Moore and he's the same wonderful, heroic, gentle person. Um, so I think he's acting the most in For Only. I think he's also acting quite a lot in Man With The Golden Gun, but it doesn't work. It doesn't quite land. He's trying to act like Sean Connery. And then I think his performance in Spy is then a sort of, like, um, counter to that, as he's... He's kind of becoming more comfortable and taking more command over the role for himself, and that's why I think his performance is a little bit more iconic there because he's more in control of what he's doing. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with an oddball choice that I know isn't going to win the poll, win the poll. And actually, I'm going to say Octopussy. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. yeah, that's my choice. I, I think he is absolutely fantastic. He's there's there's so he is really witty, but also. The serious scenes, he is deathly serious and deathly convincing. Um, everything with Maud Adams is fantastic. They've got perfect chemistry together. And then when he's opposite, um, the scene where he's opposite Berkov, and anyone mm-hmm. who anyone who knows performing arts will know that Stephen Berkov is, um, well, he's quite renowned as a performing arts practitioner, but he's very extreme and very loud and very... Um, sort of the centre point of whatever he's doing and he does, Stephen Burkov does steal every scene he's in not necessarily in the right way or in a good way in Octopussy except that one scene where he's with Roger and Roger acts his balls off and absolutely holds his own up to him and he's fantastic and then even when he's in a clown suit he's still utterly convincing as a spy, the man's dressed as a clown and you're Mm -hmm. still looking at him and going that's a British spy so (laughs) that's my choice and I think he's wonderful and fun and yeah team octopus and also sorry no the scene with um where he discovers Vijay has been killed yeah he's really emotional yes. and really powerful and I think that just shows the range of how he can go from sliding down a banister and nearly taking his um, gentleman's parts on the end of a thing and then also being selling something that kind of brings the audience up oh, brings a little bit of a tear to the audience in the same movie is something that should be applauded
0: within minutes of each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the following scene,
3: when uh, Bond and Anne were being uh, driven to checkpoint Charlie um, and, you know, that, you know, a lot of this is like explaining things to the audience, but then, you know, the, the driver says no problem, which was of course, uh, DJ's catchphrase. Yep. And then like, there's this little music and it's like, you know, there's no dialogue, but just, you know, Roger Moore is looking at Robert Brown and it's like, I mean, that's some serious acting with no dialogue at all. So yeah, just to piggyback on what you said, Sean, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but yeah.
0: And I also, I'm going to back up your choice, Sean, and I thought I was just going to be me and Lisa with Octopussy, but.
4: Um... <laughs> you knew I was going with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had that one ink before we started. Um,
0: yeah. He also gets revenge in Octopussy with yeah. the Mishka and Grishka uh, scene mm-hmm. at the, you know, that one's for Double O. And I think you see the full range of you see the full range of Roger's Bond in one movie, and that's why I love it so much.
1: Well, there's also as well the fantastic scene where they're talking about Colonel Smythe, and mm-hmm. he he delivers a whole story that is essentially sort of a monologue. And there's no, if you look at a modern film, they'd show flashbacks or whatever, but you can completely imagine it through what he's telling and through what he's saying to you you don't mm-hmm. need any supplementary material his performance is doing all the work there it's brilliant
3: well and also just in terms of the broader context of which he's doing the performance because of course it wasn't known for a long time whether he you know he would come back or not now you have a um, competing bond film with Sean Connery and like you know he comes back for a lot of money but still it's like there was a lot of pressure but it doesn't show in the performance at all. And I, I wrote about this years ago about, you know, Octopussy, he just has this, I know what I'm doing vibe and it's, and I can't really explain it, but it's just, it's like throughout the movie, it's like, I got this, <laughs> I, I have this, I'm fine. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I'm a bigger defender of Octopussy than a lot of my Bond friends. So.
4: And I'd like to add to that because I, it, to me with this film, look, my second choice of, of this was Moonraker and for a lot of the same reasons because – there's seriousness going on, but there's humor. And I think this has been articulated by others, but I think Bill brings up a really good point. People have always said, you know, Roger Moore was getting old, But I feel like he fully came into his, like he was fully functioning on all cylinders and octopussy. He, yes, he was a little bit older, but he still was physically capable of doing the things that he needed to do. And yet he came in with a sense of experience. Like I believed him and I believed his background and I believed his connection with octopus. Octopussy, that he was this man who has been on all these missions beforehand, and he knows how to be serious. He knows the risks. He knows that he has the sense of loss. He gives me such a range of performance with this particular film that I buy it. It is the most, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion, the most complete performance for Roger Moore in all of the colors and the textures that he gives. And then it's packaged in a film that I've always found to be quite exciting and, and empowering in relation to women, him having and showing and deferring respect to the women who are on Octopussy Island being like, cool, this is a really good thing. And I think even just that nod to that, instead of being, say, threatened by it, uh, but being accepting of it sent out such a powerful message. So, I mean, I know that's going a little bit off topic, but I, everyone has re- pretty much said what I want, what I wanted to say, but I just wanted to put my little like secondary vote in there for Moonraker <laughs> in honor of Calvin Dyson, who is not mm-hmm. here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he might vote for this one, but that one has a lot of really great um the the same combination of of action and 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 seriousness and humor and there's a pigeon stare that goes on and there's like a lot of stuff going on in that (laughs) film as well i just feel like he's a little bit more experienced and i like that maturity
3: well and can i add just one more thing related to octopussy like to me bond and vj have like a uh, mentor protege thing going it's not stated but like they they definitely have a chemistry and it's particularly uh evident in the tuk tuck chase and it's just like you know they're just having a great time like you know like guys are trying to kill them but like you know, they're-
0: okay. off off screen you know roger was taking the piss out of vj Armitage like daily so practical jokes and everything else so i think that comes through on screen a little bit
3: yeah That's i mean good. particularly where it was like he gets the idea of uh Throwing all the money out to uh, you know uh, put some distance between them and their their pursuers and like they're just like you know at at one point Roger turns to VJ says easy come easy go and VJ has this big grin on his face and it's just like yeah it's like that's chemistry you can't fake that's that's genuine and that's that's actually one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie.
1: Well, I should also and I also sorry now we're just picking out bits of octopusy but the brilliant <laughs> bit just before that where he's playing backgammon and he rolls a double six and he knows it's a double six and without looking down he just stares straight ahead and goes a double six it's brilliant it's brilliant, That's
2: brilliant. Mm. well it's hard to argue with any of that um but and- however <laughs> <laughs> well, i'll just I'll just make a brief case for something else but but, but you guys are right in in the way that that danger and sort of coiled snake unpredictability thing works for an early Connery, Moore's strengths lie in the unflappable and in the uh, you know, the uh as as Bill said, that the vibe that he's just totally in control at all times. Um at, which came later, I think. But um just in an outlier sense, I I won't say it's the best, but as a favorite, the early Roger Moore of, of Live and Let Die is is interesting to me because you get things that you never get again. And I uh, I mean Mm-hmm. E- even though they brought back Felix Leiter later, but the Felix Leiter uh, Bond relationship in Live and Let Die, I think, is one of my favorites of all the many permutations of Felix and Bond that occurred over the franchise. And having them in New York felt special, having them in New Orleans felt special. Mm-hmm. You know, we never returned to America in any real meaningful way, I think in the, in the uh, years since, in my opinion. And th- the way that that film is just teetering on the edge of the whole franchise turning into drive-in movies is pretty kind of cool. It's like a fork <laughs> in the road that they, they, they veered back from. But, you know, had, had they continued down that road and had Spy Who Loved Me Not reset the thing as a special event, you know, uh, motion picture, the, the, the films returning to programmers, and not that I advocate for that, but but the idea of a Bond movie as a programmer is a, a perverse curiosity mm. to me. And, and and there's like maybe three of them. I think Diamonds may, might fit into that category too. But um, that that perversion of Bond, I think, is exciting because I don't have that much of it, I think. Whereas the, the more that you guys are celebrating, I think you've got maybe mm. four or five of those. Um and you know up into view to a kill where he's just got nothing left to prove and so all of those things that you're citing in octopusy i think are still very present in view to a kill he's yeah. still that guy um but the the rarities the b-sides and rarities of it all of the early stuff is still sort of calls to me in that regard
4: Can we talk about the turtleneck too? I think he looks so incredibly (laughs) dashing in this particular film. I know people are always like, Sean Connery is so attractive. And I'm like, no, Roger Moore in Live and Let Die is so... Stunning in the costuming, and he's wearing that turtleneck with that gun holster, yeah. and he's walking around with it. And I'm just like, I believe it, and I actually now understand why women find you so attractive, James Bond. Like <laughs> I just felt like he oozed this sensuality, um, and and this this level of charisma in that role. Even though I don't feel as though like he he fully had felt out Bond at that point and, and really filled it out and it wasn't a, a full articulation, but then it goes back to Sean's comment of, you know, is this a performance him trying to figure out what's going on and, and, and really having to deal with the overarching influence of Sean Connery as bond. Cause that's a lot to play up against Definitely. after seeing mm-hmm. what Lazenby did and did not do. Um, and then to see him just, uh, I don't know. I, I feel as though there's, there's there's a lot going on in terms of his performance. And did it hit all the marks? No, but I still felt that he looked the part. I thought he looked really good in the part and it was enough to keep me interested to see the future films. Like uh, there was a lot of strength in there.
2: He comes up against the things that he doesn't come up against in other films in terms of just the kinds mm-hmm. of henchmen, the, the villain yep. face-off is very different, the whole Alec, the crocodile thing. And just on the turtleneck tip, you know, Roger Moore gets dinged a lot for his clothing as Bond, but mm-hmm. his clothing is fantastic in Living Let's
4: But I like his clothing in general.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well and, and also, you know, in that sequence, like it's not a little PPK in that shoulder hose. So it's like this giant it's gun. Dirty which, Harry gun, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, probably influenced by Dirty Harry, but still. Yep. But, but still, he's still Bond, though. He's not Dirty Harry because like later when he's down in the lair, and he puts, you know, like they, he's been given a martini and he puts the uh, shoulder holster and the gun on the tray and you know, says, keep the change. Like, very cool. You know, so it's 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 still Bond. Definitely. It's just, you know, the props have changed a bit.
0: Mm. Michael, what would I, you like to?
5: Um, yeah, I... I- <laughs> Roger Moore is not my favorite Bond, um, and, and I say that with, with fear, and Lisa has still continued to be my friend despite with fear that.
4: fear of Lisa. <laughs> my fear of Lisa, which,
5: if I'm honest, a lot of my life is about fear of Lisa. Um, Stop. No, um, <laughs> but I really have begun to reassess him. And I think like a lot of what we're saying is uh, a lot of what you guys are saying is um, is resonating with me and my experience of more as Bond. I think in the early Bond, there are really interesting choices. Some of them don't hit for me because I feel that they're very consciously stepping away from what Connery did. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying really hard to be different, but they don't quite work as a whole. I think where he where he ends up, where you have those performances that allow him to be both serious and have the witticisms that um, that really mark his bond are the performances that are really good. And I've actually come I've come quite far in my appreciation of Moore over the years um, because he he is an he is a good actor, but he, he I think he carries the performance on his charm and charisma. Um, it, it's, it's those films that kind of force him to do more things that show his versatility. And, mm. um, I, you know, it, sometimes it's his clothes. Um, and you know, I don't ever see Connery wearing a, 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 a turtleneck, um, in his bond, but then he wore that terrible, um, suit, that blue whoa, whoa, bathing whoa. thing in, uh, in, um, in Goldfinger.
3: <laughs> so, you know, Connery, wore, Connery wore a turtleneck you are tur- forever. In- in twice. When oh yes, he
5: did. That's right. I mean, I
3: mean, it's not common, but like, no, I'm sorry. No, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. But yeah, it's like, wait, no, no, no can't let that go by. But yes, <laughs> yeah, sorry.
5: It's all right.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you won't get I'm,
0: invited back. I'm then never like that. gonna get invited back.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this was <is> the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: well, To your point, Roger wears one, becomes iconic. Connery wears one, people forget about it. Yeah, tis true. I, I think I think
3: color has something to do with it. Like what I, I forget the color, but what it wasn't great. You know, whereupon, you know, Roger Moore is wearing a cool black turtleneck. So there's, by
1: Archer. There's, can we? Make, is there one more performance we can mention while we're on Roger Moore? Well, I just act? wanted to get Michael's final vote. What was? What would oh, be uh, the, you might
5: so I started off uh, for your eyes only. I'm still. I'm going to stay there. Um, okay. That that's still mine.
1: Okay. Um, so Go for c- it, Sean. I, I, just to mention, um, can I mention his performance in Cannonball Run? Is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> um, which I, I think Roger Moore is often sort of described as the Bond that sort of winks down the camera, breaks the fourth wall, you know, and kind of hams up the jokes a little bit. And for anyone who's not seen Cannonball Run, he plays a guy that thinks he's Roger Moore who thinks he's James Bond. And he's presented with the perfect opportunity to completely ham it up and completely like completely play to the audience. And he does the exact opposite and plays it completely straight. And it is brilliant. I would recommend it to anybody. And he also has some beautiful costumes in that film as well. And I think that just sort of highlights Roger's sort of awareness of what the character was and what he had to do and, I, I'm not articulating myself very well at all, but anyone who hasn't checked it out, go and watch it because it's great.
3: Uh, I, I'm dating myself. I saw Cannonball Run first run in the theater. Yeah, but so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, he, he is great at that for entirely different reasons than being
0: Bond. But yeah. <laughs> awesome. So um, of the panel, Octopusy wins. Yay. And, um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, we will put it out, and early votes aren't looking good. <laughs> I
4: don't think anyone else is going <laughs> <off> to vote for Octopussy.
0: As we are running kind of long on these, um, let's, I think we can do Dalton pretty quickly as it's a split choice, right? Um, who wants to put a vote in either bucket first?
4: <laughs> I'll go first. I have said this before on this podcast and I'm going to say it again. I really like Dalton's performance in the living daylights because I feel as though it is the best cross sampling of all of the colors and textures and styles and articulations of James Bond in all of the other films. I feel as though there's humor, there's seriousness um, and you can definitely tell again, Dalton much like Sean Connery is trying to feel his way, through this role and I find him absolutely charming and I buy into his relationship and his chemistry with Cara Malovi and their love story and for 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 a film that has just one really one big love interest throughout I find it so utterly compelling and I buy into it. So not just to belabor the point, but like, I just, I really like his performance in, in this film. I might be alone and that is fine. I, I I can stand here on my own, but I I don't think he gets enough credit for what he is doing and, and how versatile he is in this film.
5: I will stand there with you, Lisa. And it's not out of fear. Um, (laughs) I got like that opening sequence and his delivery of Bond, James Bond in the opening. That's, that might be my favorite use of that line in the entire franchise like it's just it's good it's fresh it's interesting Mm -hmm. i have i have a lot of time for dalton
3: uh you know what i'll agree and Mm -hmm. i'll also cite that very first shot you know in terms of you know where he turns around in the pre titles Mm -hmm. but also that his interaction with the saunders first in you know right after the uh you know right after the titles but then later like so the two who had been you know weren't getting along. They've cut, come to an understanding. Then Saunders gets
0: killed. No, I I, I think it was a fantastic debut. I'll, um, I'll I agree. You know the funny thing, Bill, about that shot where he turns to camera and the wind's blowing in Gibraltar. It was an insert shot on in the last, but one day. Yeah, they, they, I, I So could he tell that, had he had been Bond at that point, and he's filled out a little bit, right? Yeah, compared to the publicity shots you see in in Vienna in the beginning, right? Uh, Be, because I could tell because you know, I could tell
3: it was rear projection. In, you know, in that shot, but it's still great. You know, it's just, Absolutely. It, yeah, it's just the, you know, I was pretty sold. And then when I was really sold was in that uh, sequence right after the titles where he's looking over the, the, what he has to deal with and about how easily, you know, Koskoff could be killed. They'll make strawberry jam of him. That it's a great line, the way he says it's a great line. And it's just, yeah, I mean, and, and he does a fine job in license kill. But I would go with uh, the Living Daylights.
2: No argument from me. <laughs>
0: oh wow, You're sweeping the board here. Yeah, uh, you
2: know, I mean, I, I don't have much to add. I think there's some cool, uh, you know, Fleming DNA in, in *License to Kill* with the with the Felix Leiter relationship. But it's like *Living Daylights*. You could tell he was just present. He was excited for that gig, and he was making the most of it. And uh, they they more or less let him do that. Uh, I, I think. I think he, you know, there's not a lot getting in the way of his great performance there. There's not a lot of uh, outside influences, let's say, the way there is in License to Kill in terms of uh, just execution. Sure.
1: Uh, I feel so conflicted. Uh, <laughs> I almost like, said, like "Take crazy. a risk. Take uh, a risk." John. I've got to pick a bucket. I've got to pick a bucket. Okay, so Living Daylights. He really, he is brilliant. He's great, and he does some of his really cool own stunt work. And he's just, he hits the ground running, and he's fantastic. License to Kill. He's driven, and he really sells that. You, really, he really wants revenge, and you can really feel the passion in his performance. And He's out to get Sanchez, and uh, I really like them both. Licensed to Kill, he has that awful haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Which, but, then, but then in Living Daylights, there's that one scene where he gets in the sports car with the girls to go to Felix Leiter, and he puts those sunglasses on, and it's really cringe.
4: But maybe it's
1: deliberately cringe because he's trying to be undercover. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go Living Daylights.
0: Oh, boy. All right.
1: So I'm going to be the
0: ugly stepchild and say license, license to, to kill. kill just because I think, um, I get Lisa's argument for Dalton in living daylight touches on all the keystones of all the other bond mm-hmm. periods. I kind of prefer license to kill. Cause I think Dalton's doing more of his own thing. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I kind of like his, he is a more serious person and I think it, leans into his personality i'm not saying he goes around killing people at are drug lords, but i'm saying i think he, he leans more into his sensibilities that things are serious this is a serious job kind of thing um that's his preferred hairstyle in, in life. <laughs> well, if we're talking about hair pieces affecting the performances then we should really review those sean connery choices shouldn't we i
6: like
0: to, I like to call me straight back yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna go License to kill just because I think he puts in more of mm-hmm. his own vision into it than the script he got from Modern daylights.
3: I don't disagree, but like you know, one of the knocks on Dalton, he can't handle humor. He handles the humor just fine in the living uh, in the living daylights. Yeah, well, in, it's the script it, that's bad for the well, jokes. It's, it's, in not, pati- it's not his well, performance in, of the jokes, is the jokes are bad. Mm. Well, in particular when like, you know, the pig or whatever they call it and they put in Koskoff in it as like yeah, don't worry, Yorgi. We've you know, our son's spent months perfecting this. How many times have you done with a man? You're the first. Slam. And he he delivers that line really great. I just thought so yeah, so I, I think he could do humor if he put his mind to it, but uh Yeah, anyway. we don't have
5: enough we don't have enough sample uh to yeah, see right. what he would do with, with more uh, jokes. Hot fuzz. <laughs> there you go. Well yeah, he's a funny guy. <laughs>
2: Um. Yeah, I'll defend his haircut and license to kill. He's in disguise. He's doing a bit. It's like people that are mad at Daniel Craig's ugly shirt at the beginning of Casino Royale. But he's he's undercover at that
3: moment.
0: Don't forget yeah, all the controversy over the beard. pre-production he's, of Skyfall right. He,
3: he, he's yeah. doing a bit. It's Eddie Munster. But, um.
2: <laughs> That's when he's in Isthmus City undercover.
0: All right. So bringing up the rear, Mister. In Brasley. so many ways. This could be this could be a quick one. Um, who wants to throw Brosnan's best performance out first? Uh, can I do a controversial choice? Yeah. Ooh. uh
3: I mean, it's I'll, not Goldeneye. No, it's not Goldeneye. I'll I'll go with the uh, the world is not enough. I think he was called oh. on to do more. That that would that would he, be
1: my choice too, Bill.
3: Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. As Ben's not here, I would say he was called on to sniff a lot of farts in that film. Wow. Cuz that's what his that's what his face looks like half the time he's talking to Electra. But <laughs> <laughs> they smelled my fart acting skull. <laughs> sorry to derail you Bill, but uh... <laughs> Ah, sorry. No, that's
3: fine. Um I just wanted to keep it short. No, I just, you know, I'll go with that. I mean, I understand why I know he liked Goldeneye a lot more, and he said the other three kind of like went by and couldn't. It was hard to keep him in track, but uh, keep track of him. But I thought he did a good job. Um, the material wasn't necessarily the best, but uh, I thought uh, he was great.
4: Do you want to support that one, Sean?
1: Yes, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll I'll second that. Um, I think he's uh, I think he's he's wonderful in Goldeneye, but I think he just given a little bit more emotional range in the world is not enough. Um, Maybe that's because it has a little bit more human sort of drama to it. Um, But I I cite, there's probably the scene where he um, shoots Electra is Mm. brilliant. Um, I buy that he's full of anger and he's actually quite scary when he's going to shoot her and then he shoots her and then immediately sort of, feels you can you kind of go on an emotional journey with him there um but any any scene with electro i think he's brilliant i i don't know i maybe it's that it's it's also a very consistent performance um and also he's having a bit of fun i don't know that's the one that just feels feels right for me um he's great in GoldenEye too though he's great in all of them i love bros
3: I was about to say also, a lot of people say that uh, Dalton was like a precursor to the Craig Bond. Actually, I think this film is like the precursor to the Craig Bond. The, you know, it wasn't as developed as, you know the Craig well, certainly as Casino Royale, but I think this is where Barbara Broccoli wanted to go, and I think this was her first, where she was able to push it in that direction.
1: I, I think, I think for me, he gets that per, they, he gets that perfect balance of that sort of darker, edgier Craig Bond, and then sort of the more Bond in this film. So he's got those deeper, more personal moments, but then he's also got the moments like where he's straightening his tie in the boat and doing those great action scenes. Yeah, and it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's tongue in cheek, and it's great. So I think it, it sits perfectly as the balance for those who right.
3: Me. And and of course, he was repeating that. Bit with the straightening tie from Goldeneye at the, with the tank, right?
4: And I think he relays the emotional stakes of this particular film very well. And I think Sean is right to to point out the scene where where he kills Electric King because through the acting, you can see him reacting with 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 anger, but also reacting with remorse and trying to like hold it together and hold it in and then move on to the next step. I feel as though there's an emotional commitment based on the nature and the personal nature of, um, MI6 being attacked and, and M being kidnapped and being taken in by Electra King. The only reason why her villainy, is successful, because I think she's a great villain, is because James Bond shows us that he buys into it, right? He Mm -hmm. falls in love. We all fall in love with him. um, And then, of course, he feels betrayed and he conveys that. Um, that that level of emotion and betrayal in a very powerful way in ways that we haven't really seen Bond represent and, and emote betrayal. And so I, I do think that there are, there are moments in this film where Brosnan hits the nail on the head and he gives us that right balance and, 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 and tries to, as much as you talk about like sort of like not pain face, but the other face. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I really feel as though he understands what Bond is going through and is trying to show like trying to exercise control when you're mad and when you're hurt. And I feel as though that's what to me is, is being conveyed through the performance.
3: And also just in terms of broader context, during the filming of the movie, Brosnan did a interview with Playboy magazine. And if you compare that to Connery's interview that he did during the making of Thunderball, there are some remarkable similarities where they're kind of like, well, we, the gadgets are kind of getting away from us. We got to keep it more grounded, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they're not, you know, direct copies of the quotes, but you know, there's certainly some similar themes mm. in the two interviews.
5: I'm going to go Goldeneye, but um, I, I could, I could very easily uh, change my vote. I, I have a really complicated relationship with Brosnan. I really like Brosnan as Bond. I don't like the Brosnan films. I feel right. he's a great Bond. And if the material was better, they would probably be some of my favorite films of the franchise.
1: I'll
5: go GoldenEye simply because he, he does start off really well. I really like the scenes with him and M, um, that, that beginning mm-hmm. relationship. I mean, he's acting against Judy Dench. Like, she's no lightweight. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's completely convincing as the, as the old guard and she's the new person coming in. You know, the, the dynamic which is completely opposite in, in the Craig films. I think he holds his own with her. Um I think he's a really good actor, but again and again, uh, things like the gadgets getting away um kind kind of mar his performances as good as they are.
4: Yeah, and I mm. definitely agree with with your comment there. I mean, he he steps into this role after a hiatus, and to me he looks the part, he feels the part, he's acting the part. And then when we get him introduced in this like this momentous scene with the first woman playing M, right? Where we're gonna sit down and have that conversation about sexism and misogyny. And you have Judy Dench imperfect, like imperfection. She's perfect in her mode right there. And you can see him with some of like this this boyish playfulness, but then being put in his place and then like reacting and responding, like, oh, and and there there's there's alcohol here. Oh, wait. And he's constantly like responding to her and trying to like calibrate and recalibrate where he stands and i think that that's a really important moment it is setting the stage for everything that is that is going to come afterwards and so i do feel as though he gives a very strong performance especially at the beginning and then even when we talk about gadgets and gags he figured out quite quickly that it was the necktie thing that is Brosnan's Bond's signature move just like Daniel Craig's mm-hmm. is the cufflink right and it's it's these moments and there's a lot of it's a serious it's a serious move movie obviously you've got Sean Bean dying not dying and then dying again you know where there's like a personal um betrayal a personal connection where we're, we're starting to go into the more serious Brosnan era films and yet he's able to interject some lines some humor he's able to have a great relationship with Natalia Simonova having a strong capable competent woman who is who is performing you know in in this role and and deferring to her but doing so in a way that we're like okay i buy it she's smart she's telling you what to do and you're like sure let's just go along with it i do like it when you have that type of dynamic and then being able to step up and step forward in other moments and so i feel as though overall he gives a multi-range performance in this film that makes me really like him as bond and, and sets up for me one of the golden eras of of James Bond.
0: So I'll put you down for God no, then, Lisa.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's either that or Tomorrow Never... Okay, I like Tomorrow Never Dies as a movie, and I do like his performance because I feel as though it's a... St- I feel as though that these performances are very much connected. It's the same approach, same style, better soundtrack. It's got Michelle Yeoh, um, playing off those dynamics, but actually put, put it in for tomorrow never dies because the scene with Paris Carver, I know people don't give Terry Hatcher and Paris Carver that much, um, um, love, but the feelings that he felt for Paris Carver, I felt, I felt that he loved her. I felt that, he struggled with his relationship with her and when she died i believed that he was mourning her and i believe that scene of him kissing her dead corpse and then of course having to go into the next scene dealing with uh was it Kaufman Kaufman yeah. was his name yeah. um and, and 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 shifting and moving from one to another but being sorrowful but there's comedy going on and then being excited and playful in the car and enjoying you know the 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 technology there's moments in that that i think that Brosnan shines more as Bond like and so there's more emotion there's more fun so I would put yeah put put me on that one but I really like GoldenEye in in the way that it starts things off
0: I'd say if we're talking about like the quality of the acting, then Brosnan being upset about Terry Hatcher leaving the film. I mean, that's like top tier (laughs) acting (laughs) right
4: there. (laughs) He really committed to that (laughs) one. Um, (laughs)
0: um, The only thing I'd say against that, Lisa, because I was thinking about Tomorrow Never Dies too, but the only thing I'd say against it is I think Brosnan is playing in a different film than everybody else. Like, I don't think he got the memo that Tomorrow Never Dies is camp. um, Mm. And he plays it like some taut thriller when it's not um mm. so it, he it always stands out like i can't now watch that film without thinking that the whole time mm. well, like he's he's playing bond in a different film to everybody else
3: well i was about to say it also doesn't help that like bruce fairstein is like writing scenes like hours right. before they're to be filmed. um because it starts you know the script started out with fairstein then like half dozen other guys come in and then like oh bruce we need you to kind of like clean up our mess and then like he's like you know literally like you know the night before it's like okay here's what we're filming tomorrow and just um yeah i mean that's that's not that doesn't make for a great performance
4: see but james when you say like best performance, it still could mean that it's a good performance. It's just oh, yeah. not the yeah, one yeah, performance yeah. for the <laughs> film.
0: Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. I think yeah. it was a good performance as Bond, but it, I don't think it works in the film because everybody else is playing the, this little campy adventure.
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, just it, look at the characters in that film for goodness sake. And he, like, it, Hey, um, I don't think this is the same film. I mean, you know, <laughs> <Well>, at what <laughs> point did he like, like time out guys. In particular,
3: the Dr. Kaufman scene where it's like, uh, it has to do like, could you really make this look like suicide? And then I could, I could make, I could do the effect if I shot you from Stuttgart. And like, that's like,
0: that's like, yeah, two actors, like not necessarily on the same page. Right. Which is probable because they had different pages from Bruce. <laughs> yeah. They're all on like different scripts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Did you awesome. put the pink pages, Pierce, and or the orange pages? Right. Well, and it's yeah. possible they
3: filmed it without even being in the same room at the same time. Uh, because you know, <laughs> one camera's, you know, like. Be- Peter Sellers and Orson Welles. Oh, yes. <laughs> Along those lines,
1: yes. Uh, um, can I, uh, Sorry, sorry to keep doing this, can I also shout out his performance in Everything or Nothing? okay <laughs> yes um, just I, I genuinely think it's a great performance in that voice acting is actually a lot harder than people think and uh, a lot of people a comment I get fed back to me a lot when I talk about the games on say Twitter or whatever is that it's Brosnan's fifth film or it's the it it's is. his unofficial fifth yeah. film. And that's because yeah. he feels like James Bond as you're playing it, and he delivers the lines exactly as his James Bond would, and he, he is pitch perfect, spot on.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Nobody ever says that about GoldenEye Reloaded or Bloodstone, no. about Craig's performance. Right. Who, I'm sorry if you're listening, Daniel, you do sound a bit right. bored in those games. right? <laughs> um, so really like big credit to Broz for being able to deliver something in a studio and deliver it just as he would on, on stage. I think it's great. That's a
0: good point. Um, who hasn't voted for Brosnan yet? Me. All right. <laughs>
1: Bring it on. First of all,
2: I laughed when Sean said "everything or nothing" because I thought he meant the documentary where Pierce <laughs> is very,
0: very engaging,
2: uh, and Pierce is very candid talking about how he can't really the 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 second, third, and fourth films are from his <laughs> tenure run together, and he can't remember what's in what. Um, he's oh, a very okay. he's a highlight of that documentary. So I don't have one. Listen, I don't have a favorite Pierce Brosnan performance because he's just never...
0: Uh, Should so hit- put N.A.
2: on the poll then? N. A. Yeah. <laughs> F. Pierce. Um, no, but... So I've said this before, but if you put a gun to my head and made me watch a Pierce Brosnan movie right now, I'd put in Die Another Day because yes. I do think it's, it's ripening into this sort of camp treasure. Um, and... He seems to be in the first half, at any rate, I know it's popular to see the first half, having a blast in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his prisoner of war shtick, his uh, the pre-title sequence where he takes the glasses off the guy and he's like that stuff is really fun. Um, and the uh, good, the Cuba sequence is pretty good up until I would ding him for the way he pronounces mojito. Mojito, but, right.
6: <laughs> yeah, olfavour.
2: <Por> <laughs> um, yeah, that part's bad, but. You know, it, much like Moore sort of settled into his role, like there's there's something less uh, uh, antsy about Pierce in the later ones. So I don't, I, I guess I don't have one. Sorry. Oh, j- no, j- to, just I, say
1: it. Put Die Another Day. Go on, say
0: it. Yeah, I'll say... It's,
1: it's, too, it's
2: too late. I already tweeted it out. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. <laughs> not on it. Um, yeah. I'd say first half of Die Another Day is, is where I find Pierce most entertaining.
4: But I actually think that that's a really good. Um, line of argument. And and I do like his performance at the beginning. I do, I don't want to say I do like the torture sequences in the in the credit sequence, but I do love this idea uh because you see a shift towards the Craig era and the seriousness. So you get the emotional seriousness in Uh, the film before this one, the world is not enough. But in this one, you get like the physical torture. You get the sense of betrayal that he has, you know, with, with M, do you trust me? Do you not trust me? We see his body on display. We see that it's been beaten and bruised. We've got the beard to the shape sequence and stuff like things that pop up in Daniel Craig's era. And I do believe um, his performance in this in this film, the fact that there's too many gadgets and the fact that there's so much CGI is distracting. But I think he's given all that he has. Like I believe that Pierce Brosnan is committed to the character of James Bond, and I think that he was pushing and wanting it to go in a serious direction with a little bit of humor. And I think he. Did what he was supposed to do coming up to this film. It's just the film itself and the other mm. elements I, I uh, were a little overshadowing of the actual performance. So I support you in this, Phil. Uh,
0: are we saying that he left it all on the field in Die Another Day, like somewhat? Uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know, know if I'd
4: go that strongly <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I was also going to say,
3: like, so Die Another Day then sets up the dynamic for the Craig films, where mm-hmm. you know the M Bond thing. I don't trust you. Well, I don't trust you either. Well, I don't trust you either. But now and I trust you, but-
0: you five minutes later. Yeah.
3: So, uh, yeah.
1: yeah. So mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. Plus anyway.
0: surfing. Plus <laughs> surfing. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and as well, I gotta say, sorry to Roger. Pierce looks really bloody good in a turtleneck. Hey. Whoa. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree.
0: <laughs> and it's a thermal turtleneck. Cause you can jump into ice cold water and
5: both, you know. i would
1: you
0: know?
5: i have several living in winnipeg <laughs>
6: uh,
0: all right would you like the results yes. yes yes please all right so for the sean connery area we picked out from russia with love as the predominant choice of the panel okay. and 275 people agree um Permission of Love comes 62% of the fan poll. Ooh. Over Thunderbolt in second, Dr. No trailing in last place. Well, yeah. Out of the three that we picked. So, audience consensus um, with our picks. Can't say that for the Roger Moore choices. <laughs> <laughs> so, we overwhelmingly went for Octopussy. Um, and the audience went overwhelmingly for the Spy Lovely. Ah. Mm, I can see that. And Octopussy came in last in the Ooh. fan poll so
3: it's the clown suit (laughs) yeah people can't see past
0: it and i i I will put this out there i mean i tried to spell it out on twitter that we talked about individual performances and not the whole film but you know some people just scroll through sitting in the toilet and see four films and pick the favorite film (laughs) you've been that for
2: a week by people who didn't understand that you were like actually doing math about you only live twice as ranking right
3: (laughs) right yes years ago ago i did an article about the yawn series like how much you know trying to put a numerical value on Amount of Fleming content. I said it's not a movie review. It's like amount. And it's like, you know, it's like, how can you say there's so much in Die Another Day? Well, because it's a def- <laughs> you know, in the first half is right. a de facto <laughs> adaptation of Moon Ring. But, you know, it's like they change the names, they file off, you know, the serial numbers, but but like, you know, they don't care. They
0: don't, you know, people yeah. don't care. They don't read it. Yeah, but they, they won't read it, but they'll give you some shitty comments on Facebook. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah, they're very good at that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd like to just say it feels a unique experience to read The Room correctly and vote for License to Kill because the audience picked it 56 <laughs> to 43. That's so
4: close, though.
0: It is close, yeah. Um, but it's nice to see License to Kill coming out of um, – the dark cobweb corner of the franchise and the fandom, and people actually, I think, appreciating it a bit more mm-hmm. these days. Um, <clears throat> there's four minutes left on the poll, but let's be real GoldenEye is winning the Brosnan one. And
3: on License to Kill, everybody complains about the writer's strike effect on Quantum, but like it was at least as much, if not yeah. more so, on um, mm. License to Kill.
0: Oh, breaking news NA is coming up. <laughs> on the outside there you go you can never go wrong with 10 so I think <clears throat> interestingly um, two of them we picked that you know we were in agreement with uh, the audience and two of them we weren't so interesting that it was Roger and Dalton that that was different but I guess maybe more people have spent time thinking about Connery and Brosnan being it's the first and the most recent eras to complete All right. So in about four years, when No Time to Die comes out, we should do this again (laughs) for the Daniel Craig era. Although, can we actually say it's finished when that film comes out? Mm.
3: Uh, I I think yes, only because he's getting so much damn money to do these Knives Out sequels. Yeah, right. Because up until then, I thought he might still come back. Or like a blank check, am I right? Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, well, my Craig Craig vote would go for that Heineken advert where he loses his passport.
5: No, the the Olympics where he takes the queen to the the stadium. There
3: you go. Yeah, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle's one James Bond film. There
0: it is. The 2012 Olympics. (laughs) All the corgis in the world. (laughs) You know when that corgi that jumps down the steps in that. Video died, it was in the news. No, what? Yeah, yeah, we didn't get that over here. No, it didn't make it across the pond, did it? <laughs> no. All right, well, thank you very much, everybody, and welcome aboard, Michael. I thank hope you it for wasn't too me. traumatic for you. No, thank you for having time. me.
5: This was a lot of fun, and uh,
0: we'll see you all next week. Take care, bye, bye everyone. Take care.
6: I just want you to notice how I really. Chicken and martinis never covered up my pain through the years And you say, let me take you back to Le Chateau Marmage